Amen. Turn uh, with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. Our 1 Peter text is very appropriate uh, for the Lord's Supper, so we're just continuing uh, in our 1 Peter studies here this morning. 1 Peter 3 and verse 18 will be our focus. Now, you know the main subject, we've seen that. The main subject we've been considering is how to conduct ourselves under various forms of persecution and suffering uh, from unbelievers that are hostile uh, to us as, as Christians. And we saw last week in verse 17 of 1 Peter 3, we saw that Peter wants to be sure that if we suffer, it is for righteousness' sake not because of our own folly. Verse 17, for it is better, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And that appears multiple times in this letter. And as we begin verse 18 this morning, I'd like you to see the structure here for a moment from verse 18 down all the way to chapter 4, verse 2. Notice that verse 18 follows uh, verse 17. For verse 17, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Then jump down to chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So you see all the way there, verse 17, verse 18, chapter 4, verse 1, we have this line having to do with suffering, different aspects of suffering. And so verses... uh, 18b down to uh, uh, 21 there, there a, a, a parathetical insert. You notice that um, verse 18 ends, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And here's where he digresses, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. I'll explain all of that to you next week. <laughs> who formerly were disobedient during the days of Noah and so forth. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, he returns, therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh. So just, you notice that structure. We're we're only going to camp out on verse 18 this morning. And then, Lord willing, we'll follow Peter on the sidetrack. We have a whole paragraph there. It's important. I'm not saying, you know, Paul is a master at sidetracking. <laughs> Peter's doing, Peter's pulling a Paul right here, actually, right now, is what he's actually doing. And, and we'll follow that, and then, but we'll get back to this matter of suffering. Suffering is just a key thing in all of 1 Peter. Christ's sufferings, our sufferings, suffering for our stupidity, suffering for righteousness, that's a theme, but we're going we're gonna to focus our thinking at our Lord's Supper here this morning on verse 18. So, so this is what he says here at verse 18. For Christ 
also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. So, let's just think about each one of those statements. For Christ also suffered. So, let's begin there. Christ. Who is Christ? Well, he's the king. He's the son of God. He's the anointed one. He's the one that's on all the pages of the Old Testament. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Glory. He is Christ, the promised Savior, King, Servant, Shepherd that would save Israel and bring blessing to all the nations. That's who He is. And what is so significant about Christ? Paul said this, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. That's what's so significant about Christ. Christ is the means whereby the world can be reconciled unto God. You know, apart from Christ, we don't have a good relationship with God. (laughs) And if people think they believe in God and there's no Christ... They don't have a good relationship with God. They're unreconciled. We're unreconciled. Humanity is unreconciled to its Creator. And Christ is the solution to this ultimate fractured relationship between God our Creator and all of humanity. That's who Christ is. Paul's statement that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. And that invites us all back. The Gospel invites us all back into this relationship with God through Christ. You realize that? We were driven out of the garden. Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden. But God immediately sets promises in motion to invite us all back. You realize that? That, from Genesis 3.15 forward, it's one extended invitation, building and building, climaxing with the sending of His Son to invite us back into a right relationship with God. That, I mean, think about that. Christ, that's who He is. For Christ also suffered. This Christ, this glorious Christ, suffered for sins. That's crazy. Well, he didn't have any sin. He suffered for sins? He was sinless. Oh, he suffered for someone else's sins. Oh, that's right. He suffered for our sins. Not his own, but ours. I'm summarizing from John Brown, uh, quote, His sufferings were the manifestation of the divine displeasure against the sin of men. Christ was treated by the divine justice as if He had become a sinner, a great sinner, the greatest of sinners. Isn't that a wonderful statement? Let me, I gotta read that again. Christ was treated by the divine justice, that's God's justice, 
as if he had been a sinner, a great sinner, the greatest of sinners. That's how he was treated. Just, Brown goes on, just as those lambs bound to the altar of sacrifice were treated as if they were the ones who committed the crimes against God's law. Not powerful. Those spotless, innocent lambs strapped down on that altar. They were treated as if they were the ones who had violated the law. So Christ suffered for our sins. He was smitten, stricken of God. And, end quote from John, uh, John Brown. So Christ suffered. For Christ also suffered, look at once for sins. This is a great verse. <laughs> for Christ also suffered, now what? Once for sins. Our communion this morning is not the offering of a propitiatory, a propitiatory sacrifice to God. That's not what we're doing here this morning. We're not offering another sacrifice to God here this morning. Our communion is a remembrance of the once for all time sacrifice that was offered for sin. That word is important. For Christ also suffered once. Once for sins. Okay? Not often. Not more than once. Once. And He completed that work of satisfying the divine justice on our behalf. And this remembrance is to enliven our faith in Him and quicken our love for Him. It's a remembrance to stir up our faith and our gratitude in Him. He suffered once for our sins that the, ju the just for the unjust. Next statement. He suffered once for our sins, the just for the unjust, or the righteous for the unrighteous. He was righteous, wasn't he? He was righteous in his personal character. He was righteous in all his dealings with men. He was righteous in all his messianic offices as king. But most importantly, he was righteous in the sight of God. He was always righteous in the sight of God, most importantly. The Father said of him, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. He was the righteous, just one. And he lived openly, transparently in the sight of God. Both as a man and as the eternal Son of God. And the Father says, this is my beloved Son. The Father says, I love my Son. I love my Son. He is my beloved. Isn't that cool? 
Isn't that? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're not, you know, blocks up in heaven, you know, or stones. They're persons. And this just one is the Father's beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So the righteous one suffered for the unrighteous ones, plural. The just for the unjust. And that, of course, is us. We are unrighteous in the sight of God. He suffered for us. Now, the emphasis of this text is in the purpose phrase. Why did he do this? Why did the just suffer for the unjust? Why did he do it? He says it right here. That he might bring us to God. Now, that's where we're going to spend most of our time. Why did he do it? That he might bring us to God. I love this statement, for it captures the essence of many aspects of being a child of God. We are not born the children of God. Not at all. We're not born the children of God. We're not born near God. Paul says in Ephesians 2.1 that we were by nature, what? Children of wrath. Children of wrath. That's how we're born into this world. I mean, it might offend some people to know that God is like this. <laughs> well, let them be offended. And, you know, they will, they will be offended and perish, sadly. See, but we're not... You see... Christ is to bring us to God. But when we're born into this world, we're separated from Him. We're children of wrath. We're not born near to God. And you know what else? We don't want to have a relationship with Him either. That's right. The natural heart and mind just loves God. Absolutely not. The natural mind is enmity, hostile against God. And that's true of every one of us. That's right. We're born broken, separate. That's Scripture. I'm just quoting Scripture. And we'll never appreciate what God has done for us without understanding what He has done for us. So we're not, we're not the just for the unjust. So we're not, okay, we're not born near God and, and, and we don't want to have a relationship with God. No, Isaiah 53 describes all of us, right? Yes. All we like sheep have what? Gone astray. We have we have all what turned, we have turned what? Everyone, okay? There, okay? Everyone. Everyone has turned. Everyone has turned to his own way. There. Okay. And then, of course, Romans 3 10 through 11, 
I won't read it all. There's none righteous, what? No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They all have what? Turned aside. That's the the language of, of the psalm. So, here we are, born into this fallen world, and in this lost condition as far as our relationship to God. There's nothing more important than this. You know, stay up late at night to get this right. Don't go to sleep. If you don't have this. I'm, I mean that complete. I'm serious. You don't know about tomorrow. There's nothing more important than this. There isn't. Now, here's the great news. While we are running away from God, Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God. Now, there's the good news. Paul says it, expresses it this way. I've already said it. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. Not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. I'm preaching to you this morning. The word of reconciliation. That's what I'm preaching to you this morning. He's committed to us the word of reconciliation. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So He's come after us by sending His Son into our world and having the just suffer for the unjust. God bringing Himself, God God bringing us to Himself is beautifully illustrated in His delivering the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. God bringing His people to Himself is so wonderfully illustrated there. And Moses tells them, to be reminded of this. I'm going to read Exodus 19. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to Myself. Isn't that beautiful? You know that? You know the little eaglets? You know what they do? They climb aboard Mom's wings. That's, that's the illustration here. The little eaglets climb on Mom's wings and soar off. And she bears them wherever wherever she's going. 
and, and, and the Lord tells Moses, tell the people of Israel what I did to the Egyptians and tell them how I bore you on eagles' wings, what? And brought you to myself. That's just wonderful. We're going the other direction. We're running. We don't want a relationship with Him. And we're running straight into hell. That's where we're going. And we're going full speed ahead. And God brought us back to Himself. Like an eagle bears her young. That's just wonderful. That's just wonderful. They were to remember what God did to the Egyptians and how the Lord bore them on eagles' wings, brought them to Himself. You and I have something much greater to see and remember, which is what this communion service is about. How did God bring us back, bring us to Himself? By the blood of His beloved Son is how He brought us back. That's how He brought us back. This is my beloved, beloved Son in whom I am well, well pleased. And yet, I'm going to spill His blood under my justice to bring the beautiful people back? <laughs> no. To bring the unjust, unrighteous people back to Himself. There's, man would never think of this. This is so high so broad. It never entered into the thought of man how God would actually ultimately really fulfill what that slavery in Egypt and what that deliverance illustrates. Come on, folks. That whole thing is an illustration of how God saves in Jesus Christ. How God brought His people out of bondage, bondage to sin and death, and brought him to himself, brought us to himself. It's just a wonderful thing. So we have something greater to remember. And that's what this communion service is for. Christ also suffered once for sins the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God and reconcile us to God. God bringing us to Himself is also beautifully illustrated in Deuteronomy chapter 4. In His words to the second generation of the Israelites when they were about to enter the promised land. God through Moses tells them this. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it? 
as the Lord our God is to us. See? God is what? Bringing us back to Himself. To be brought back to God. That's a wonderful thing. And we're going all the way back. We're not all the way back yet. We're going to get all the way back when there's a new heavens and a new earth. We're going back to Eden plus. As God what? Is bringing us back to Himself. To what? Glorify Him and enjoy Him forever, as the confession says. To fulfill the chief end of our creation. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. He brought us back. It's a wonderful statement that Peter has made. And, and so here in, in, in Deuteronomy 4, it, it wonderfully illustrates this. I'll, I'll read it again. For, I didn't finish it. For what great nation is there that has God, oh yeah, so near to it as the Lord our God is to us for whatever reason we may call upon Him. He brought, he, he, he's brought us so near to Him for whatever reason we may call upon Him. And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in this law which I set before you today? We're near Him because He brought us back. And, and, and we're near Him so we may call upon Him for whatever reason we have. What did Peter tell us in chapter 2? But you are a what? Chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. No, Drew, it applies. In Christ, we are now that holy nation that has God so near to us. You see that? That's the church. That's the people of God in Christ that has God so near to us. He's brought us back. 1 Peter 2.9 in the book of Hebrews, God is said to be bringing many sons to glory through the sufferings of Christ. For it was fitting for Him, that is God, in that Hebrews 2.9, and I'm not going to read the whole text, but the, the, pat, the point that I'm focusing on, it was fitting for Him, God, in bringing many sons to glory. That's what He's doing. He brought us back to Himself. It was fitting for Him in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation. Who's that? That's the Lord Jesus. Okay? It was fitting for God in what? Bringing many sons to glory. And the idea that it was fitting is it was appropriate. It was a good thing to do. It was the right thing to do. 
And you know, how do you, how do you, how do you get that? You know, it was a right thing for the father to commit his son to suffering. He says it right there. Let me read. I got to read the rest of the text for you. It was fitting for him, God, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. This was the appropriate thing to do. In, in the Godhead, between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they said, you know, this is the appropriate thing to do for those lost human race. This is the appropriate thing to do. That's how God views this. It was appropriate. It was fitting. You see, that was a stumbling block of the Jews, you see. They, they can't handle the fact that Messiah suffered. And the author of the Hebrews is telling them, hey guys, the, the, the Trinity says this is the appropriate fitting thing to do. I, I can't. You know, it's good, you, you know, it's good for you that I'm not God. <laughs> okay? It's good for us that man is not God. We'd never say this is a fitting thing to do. And, and to be somewhat vulgar, you know what we would say? To hell with them. Now we can't say that. But God in His justice can completely say that. Absolutely. Have you read Matthew 25? Have you read the end of Matthew 25? And yet, this wonderful statement, it was fitting for him. See, in bringing many sons to glory, that's he brought us back to God. He's bringing us back to the glory of his presence in all of this in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. What, what that means to make him perfect is to make him the perfect Savior. To make him equipped to be a perfect Savior for you. That's what it means to be made perfect. He would never have been the perfect Savior to save us without becoming one of us and suffering. That's the point. He becomes the perfect Savior of us by suffering. And that was God's plan. To bring us to Himself. So, yeah. So, Jesus was made that perfect Savior through suffering, as Peter said. Christ also suffered once for sins. The just for the unjust. What? That He might bring us to God. He might bring many sons to glory. So, this, the, this, the blessing to be brought to God, there's no greater blessing. 
It's a wonderful thing to be brought to God because He's a wonderful God. It's a wonderful thing to be brought to the wonderful God. He's a wonderful God. He's altogether magnificent and glorious and He's kind and merciful and loving. Who would not want to be brought to Him? If you're in your right mind. Right? I mean, we're, we're like insane when we reject the Gospel, when we reject God's Son. It really is. It's an intellectual insanity. It makes no sense. It's not logical. It's not reasonable. It's none of those things. It truly is. The Gospel is the wisest, truest thing ever entered into the mind of man by God's revelation. You know, I can't find enough words. It's stupid. It's crazy. It's insane to resist the Son and not embrace Him as your Savior. It, it, it's crazy. It's dark. Darkness. Scripture has, has said all of those things. I could go to Scripture and bring out all of those as it describes us when, when, when we rebel. So it's a wonderful thing to be brought to God in this wonderful way. And if, and if you're not a believer, why not become one today? Why not believe in Jesus Christ today? Is your love affair with sin going your own way? Seeking your own glory? Is it worth it? If you're not a believer here today, I can answer that question for you. No. Your love affair with sin, your love affair with going your own way, with your own glory, is not worth it. Your sin will not love you back. And it takes people sometimes a long time to figure that out. Your sin that seems so good and you lust for it so hard, it won't love you back. No. No. So, no, it will exploit you and use you. That's what sin is like. All sins like that. It'll exploit you and use you. But there's a Savior from sin. The true God has given His Son, the just, the righteous one. Look at the just one who has suffered for the unjust. Why? To bring us to God. Look at Him. The just suffered for the unjust 
to bring us to God. To restore our relationship with Him. Amen. Um, let's see. This ordinance that we're, we're taking here, the, the bread and the cup, this is for believers, those that understand the gospel as I have been explaining it and really have put their faith and belief in Jesus Christ. And uh, if that is true of you, you are welcome to partake. But if you are still thinking through these matters, uh, it's wonderful that you're with us. And if you're thinking about who the Lord Jesus is, and you have not really called upon him yet, we would, uh, we would urge you not to partake of these elements. This is a remembrance. And you have to have something to remember uh, before you <laughs> take the remembrance. And, and we don't mean that in any negative way or, or trying to close you out. The scripture has warnings about uh, handling, uh, taking this ordinance in an unworthy manner. And the way to take this ordinance in a worthy manner is to believe in Jesus Christ and come to him as your only savior. Then you can participate in the remembrance. So uh, <clears throat> let's see the bread. Uh, Jesus is the bread of life. Uh, we know that he used that illustration. And of course, that was symbolized by the manna in the wilderness that, that kept, kept the Israelites alive, right? You know, you want to go out in the desert here and, and have no food for 40 years? <laughs> You're not going to survive without the bread, okay? That's the whole illustration of the bread from the wilderness. The manna keeps us alive. Well, again, it's topology. The real bread, of course, is Jesus Christ. And our life is sustained by His broken body. He gives us life by being broken for us. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. You must take the bread individually and eat. You must trust in Christ as a source of life. No one takes the bread and eats for you. Okay? It's an individual thing. No one eats for you. You must eat. You must believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The command, take, eat, is to you, brothers and sisters. It's a command to you. Take, eat. This symbolizes, we symbolize this by passing the, the basket with the bread and everybody withdraws their own bread. We'll do, we'll do that in a moment. We symbolize that. Um, <clears throat> Paul asked the Corinthians about a, a great confession, something to confess, and we like to repeat that in our suppers. The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Amen. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it and gave it to his disciples. So please pass the bread, and then we will pray. Remembrance of the great and awesome work you have done uh, for your people. Lord, uh, as Dan has taught, 
Um, the incarnation is very, very important that uh, the Son of God took upon himself flesh and dwelt among us and experienced uh, uh, the sin of this world and yet was sinless, had no sin, was completely pure and holy before man and God and went to the cross to take upon himself our sin in a real body. He suffered, he died because of the just law of God and he expended his life there, Lord, and we are grateful that he died for us. And now, Lord, we feast upon him as the true bread of heaven. Yes, we, we can read uh, in, the, uh, in the Old Testament how you kept your people uh, fed and alive those 40 years in the wilderness. And that's just a, a, an example. It depicts uh, the life of uh, those who are God's people in a dry and lonely place and without the sustenance that God provides for those people in the desert, they would have starved to death, but you provided, you were faithful and you are the God that's faithful to your people now that we feast on Jesus Christ daily. We thank you, Lord, for his broken body on our behalf. Thank you that he is the true bread from heaven and that we have life in him and him alone. And as we partake of this bread uh, right now, Lord, it symbolizes uh, that we, we pray that we would do it in faith and thank and praise you for this service that we can share in the body of Christ, one with another, be encouraged and do these things until you return. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this offering and uh, for the opportunity uh, to offer ourselves rather unto you in this way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Our Lord also passed a cup that evening. Christ shedding his blood for us symbolizes a sacrificial outpouring of his life for us on the basis upon which the only basis upon which God can forgive us. Our oneness in the body of Christ is represented by the fact that we all drink from the same cup. And uh, <clears throat> we all drink from the same cup. And our life all flows from the same sacrificial lamb offered once, as we have said. Again, you must drink individually from this cup. You must trust in Christ's sacrifice of himself to be the only reason. You must trust in Christ's sacrifice of himself to be the only reason that you are forgiven. Don't bring any other reason into that. He's the only reason. 
that you can be forgiven. Amen. And he's a sure reason. No one drinks for you. The command is to you. And this is symbolized by us passing the cup and you pour your own. So pass the cup and, and uh, you pour your own. Paul had another affirmation for the Christians, uh, for the Corinthians to think about. It goes like this. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Amen. It is, isn't it? It is. Amen. Okay. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to them, said, let's pray. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for what this cup represents, the outpouring of the life of your Son. Lord, we know that you have instructed us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, no forgiveness of sins. Lord, we would never, ever, ever think up this magnificent way of salvation that you have, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, done for us. We praise you. We bless you for the power of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Make that more real in our lives going forward, Lord. And uh, may we praise you a little more. Help us, Lord. Help us be faithful and never ashamed of you. We, we don't know what to say, but thank you. Thank you. Amen. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Father, we thank you this morning that we are no longer under your just wrath, that your son Jesus bore it for us. We are thank you this morning that we are no longer in a state of being unreconciled to you because your son was afflicted at the cross. We praise you for bringing us to yourself, for saving us, delivering us from the slavery of sin, reconciling us and loving us. We praise you for this great gift of salvation and the joy that you give to your people. Lord, thank you for bringing us back to yourself. We praise and thank you in your name. Thank you for the food that we will eat following our service and for all that have brought for us to share together. May this be a wonderful time of fellowship with your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.